This is Dubai Eye 103.8. You're listening to Lunch with Lloyd. Hi guys, welcome along to our podcast here on Lunch with Lloyd. My name is Mark Lloyd and, uh, well, we had some interesting conversations today. One of them was what was the most physically demanding activity that you've ever done. We had all sorts of things from plowing fields in the Philippines with a carabao to getting stuck in a lift and much, much more. We also took a trip to Expo with Paris Norris and uh, his impressions of some of the various different pavilions down there and it was hug a drummer day so we had a chat with eddie parsons probably one of the most famous drummers in the city of dubai he told us about when he arrived here about drumming in the famous abbey road studio and his current band fixer do enjoy it and of course join me live on the show weekdays 11 o'clock only on dubai i 103.8 you're listening to lunch with lloyd on dubai i 103.8 maria what's the most <laughs> physically demanding thing that you have ever done oh that's a that's a tough one sometimes it's getting out of bed um <laughs> uh, i would say a circuit factory what have would, you, what circuit it's factory? it's this um program circuit training program here in the uae yeah. and it is tough like i remember doing it three months in a row and i felt like my body was giving up what by the end of it. What do you have to do then on one of these? There, it's, so it's circuit training. So it's like stations of different workouts and like a, okay. a, a circuit or like endurance uh, and core and resistance workouts. So a lot of weightlifting, that kind of thing. And running, of course, mm-hmm. um, in between each one. So it was, it, it, I mean, it was exhausting. By the end of the session, you felt like, okay, I can just go straight to bed. <laughs> <laughs> really? Can't even shower. Can't even move my legs. So yeah, I think that would be well, the most I, difficult one. Well, you Fit. I mean, my, when I think back, my most physically demanding was was school trip when we went to climb Mount Snowdon, which is in Wales. It's one of the Ooh, highest peaks in Wales. That's uh, nice. But I was still at school then and, uh, you know, getting to the top and seeing the view and everything. But yeah. it, it did take it out of me. And I, I, I did think, uh, how on earth am I going to get back down this mountain having <laughs> climbed it? But um, yeah, that's what we're asking the question today. What's the most physically demanding thing you have ever done? We're going to go to the telephone lines right now. Adil joins us on the show. Good morning, Adil. How are you? Hi, good morning, Mark. How are you? Super, sir. So, um, when it comes to the most physically demanding thing you've ever done, what would it be for you? Um, that would be the Tough Mudder that we did in Russell Kema November last year. Okay. Um, tell me more about it um, and, and what you went through, what the pain was like uh, when you did that. Um, it was uh, similar to the Desert Warrior Challenge. It's, it was a 10-kilometer um, course with about 25 obstacles. Okay. The most, the most demanding one was probably the ice bath. The ice bath? Yeah, you had to, you had to get through a pit uh, of ice water, which was also filled with blocks of ice. Oh. Um, and it, it came up to... It, I'm, I'm six foot one. It came up to my chin. <laughs> oh, no. um, so it's, you're, almost your whole body's immersed in the water. And by the time you get out, you just feel like, there's a thousand knives just stabbing you all over your body. Oh, my goodness. That, that must be terrible. I, I mean, do you like doing these kind of challenges, Adil? Is it your kind it's, of thing? It's, it's nice to push yourself sometimes. That, I mean, there's push yourself and push yourself. How did you feel then at the end of uh, that, that 10K Tough Mudder? I, I, very accomplished. Yeah? You felt, you felt good about that it? We, we had in our books for a long time. I did it with a group of four friends. Yeah. Um, so we, we pushed each other the whole way. Yeah. And uh, it, was, it was well worth it. Excellent, Adil. Um, Derek joins us on line number two. Good morning, Derek. How are you? Yeah, hi. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Always a pleasure. Uh, and uh, what about you? When it comes to the most demanding thing you've ever done, what would it be? It would be uh, climbing Kilimanjaro 
about probably about 18 years ago when I was uh, when I was a lot younger. We were part of a um, golf for good group, and um, I think Helen Farmer might be on the present one. I'm not I'm not sure. There's a bunch of them going up as we speak. I think. Yeah, well, she's actually but, done it. I can tell you, she actually okay. summited. Uh, she summited Kilimanjaro. I'm I'm pretty sure she's going to be back today. So we're going to be hearing a lot right. of stories there. I mean, what was your experience like, Derek? Tough. It was uh, four days up and two days down, but the uh, the third day you you uh, you set off at eight. You walk all day. You then arrive at a place called Kibo Hut, sort of late in the afternoon. You have something to eat. You relax. You you, you sort of try and get to sleep, but it's not that easy. Um, and then you line up at about midnight, and you basically start to zigzag for about uh, eight hours until you reach the edge of the crater. You then watch the sun, uh, the sun come up, and then you've got another two hours to walk two kilometers to get to the other side because the, uh, the crater is at a slight angle. So to get to the very top, you then walk for another two hours. Um, you get up there, you get your photos done. It's about 5,800 meters. Then you've got to t- you take another hour to get back to a place called Gilman's Point, you then walk. You then you then go all the way down the shale, sliding down, and that is really really hard because it takes you about about two and a half hours, and your quads are locked after about ten minutes, and you just got to lean right back because if you lean forward, you tumble down the mountain. Oh, no. You get to the hut. You get to the hut. You collect all your gear, and then you walk. You, you then walk. So you've been you've been up. You've been awake probably for about thirty six hours, and you're going through that. Uh, you know. That physical challenge, yeah, but yeah. very, very fulfilling. Uh, you've got obviously got great memories of it. I mean, pretty much word for word there. You've reconstructed that um, that journey. I mean, would you would you be up for doing it again, Derek, or is it a once in a lifetime thing? I would be up for doing it again, but I'm doing something one step better at the end of this month. There's a bunch of us again with Golf for Good uh, doing a um, doing a trek to Everest Base Camp, which oh, wow. is at about five thousand six hundred meters. Wow, Derek. You are de- definitely uh, an action man. There's no two ways about that. <laughs> Thanks so much for your call, Derek. Once again, what's the most physically demanding thing that you've ever done? Finn joins me on line number one. Good morning, Finn. How's it going? Good morning. I'm good, thank you. Right then. So let's find out. Um, when it comes to uh, physically demanding things, what would it be for you? Well, uh, as I said, is I feel lazy compared with a lot of these people. That I must admit. Uh, but um, the most, ex- well, it was very exhausting. Was ride- it was riding a horse in Suffolk cross country, and uh, really, it was a strong horse, and he pulled. Uh, just you know, it was quite hard to just in, uh, clearing off. But we cleared. We went clear, and. Um, I had mega blisters on my hands at the end. <laughs> I bet you did. I mean, yeah, was, I was, think, was uh, horse riding a passion of yours? Yes, yes. I start, well, started about the age of seven. Yeah. And uh, worked with horses, worked with show jumpers, um, did vaulting on horseback, uh, you know, dressage. Not, nothing, any, any big, big competitions like affiliated, but it was great. It was really good, really good. Yeah, and just take it out of you. I mean, I did a, a bit of horse riding when I was younger, you know. Yeah. It's all right when they're walking. Once you get into this rising trot thing, that that can kind of yeah. take it out of you a little bit. And galloping, yeah. I, ne- I never got that far. Yeah, well, it's um, it's quite hard work because you're, when you're riding, it's you 
like uh, all, all the phases, you have to get the horse working well as well. You can't just, okay, galloping, they can gallop, but if you have to get them working and using their bodies properly and that sort of thing. So uh, it's hard work. It's hard work. Do you still do it now? I can't now because I fractured my neck and I've got two new hips. Oh, right. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll spare <laughs> we'll you the horse riding then, Finn. I know. I know. Thanks right. for your call, Finn. Much okay. appreciated. Uh, line number two, Alistair is with us. Um, Alistair sounds like a real action man to me. Um, Alistair, tell me the most physically demanding thing that you've ever done. Uh, well, that would probably have been running a marathon, uh, but that was quite a long time ago. Okay, uh, so where was the marathon? And uh, tell me about the, the training that you put in for it. Uh, the training was, it was actually a bit of a funny story. The year before I planned to do the marathon and I did all the training and basically I was running 10 kilometres three times a week and then every weekend I was running 10 kilometres with uh, an extra five on top, so 10, 15, 20, 25. Wow. And then I did the 35, the 30 kilometer run, uh, with the idea of taking the next week off and then doing the marathon. I finished the, uh, 30 kilometer run with a bit of a sore calf muscle and then woke up the next day and my Achilles tendon was about two inches thick and I was on crutches for about no, no. three weeks after that. Well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, so that first marathon didn't work, but then I did it again next year, and and uh, it was okay. So that's, but that's not the only thing that you've uh, that you've done that's been demanding. Okay, a marathon, I'm sure, is super demanding. But uh, when it comes to climbing, you, you did something in New Zealand. Yeah, I uh, I did a, It was called an Alpine Expedition course, where they basically taught you how to climb mountains over f- uh, twelve days. I think it was. Yeah. And one of the uh, one of the days was a big ascent of uh, it wasn't a known peak, but it was above three thousand meters from top to bottom, and, and we did it in the uh, the snow with uh, crampons all roped together and ice axes and things. It was that was a long day. And what's this? So you, you started it in the dark and finished it in the dark. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing took all day. <laughs> uh, would you be up for doing it again? I'd love to do it again, although it was a, a while ago since I did it and quite a few kilograms ago as well. Right. Alice, we've been asking you what is the most physically demanding thing that you've ever done. Uh, we've had walking in Monte Carlo on a pair of Louboutin wedges for a full day. Thanks for that, Gazelle. We've got Christina joining us. Morning, Christina. How are you? Morning. I'm well, thank you. Good then. So tell me, um, when it comes to the most physically demanding thing you've ever done, what would it be? Definitely giving birth, and I've got three girls, so I've done it three times, and there's nothing that competes. Right, so forget all the climbing of these mountains and all the running of these circuits, and you know, um, for you, it was giving birth to the three kids, but it must be so rewarding, you know, you must be so proud of of your daughters. In fact, let's give them all a mention, what are their names? Um, So I've got Darcy, who's five, Lucy, who's two, she's the challenging one, and then Olivia, who's nine months. Right. Why is Lucy so challenging? She's just gone through that terrible twos. Oh, <laughs> the terrible <People>. twos. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I'm sure that was very physically demanding, um, for sure. But have, have you done any kind of uh, circuit stuff or climbing mountains in your uh, in your career, Christina? Yes, yeah, so coming from Scotland, I like to um, climb Munro's 
so I've done 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 a few in Scotland, but definitely when it comes to it, giving birth was. <laughs> <laughs> that was on another level, was it? Yeah. Christina, you are a superstar. Thanks so much for coming on and telling us all about that. Maria joins us on line number two. Maria, good morning. Hi, good morning, Mark. Uh, so tell me, uh, when it can- comes to the most physical, physically demanding thing you've done, what, what is it for you, Maria? Uh, for me, it was going on the top of Volcano Crater. It was in the PDP. Okay. Um, the, uh, is this the Tal, uh, the Tal um, volcano? Yeah, the Tal volcano, the active one. I've been there. That, that's in Tagaytay, I think, isn't it? A place called Tagaytay? Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's correct. <laughs> beautiful looking volcano it really is i mean I, is I, I i looked at it from a long way away in a restaurant having lunch but tell me about uh, your um kind of um, uh, adventure onto the Taal volcano yeah it was 10 years ago so my uncle brought me there i was not prepared and now i don't have physical activities but he brought me there first we had to take a tricycle going to the Taal, Taal lake town because bringing the car is not easy uh, the six-side road going down to this town is not easy. From the town, we had to ride the boat going to the small village of the Taal Volcano. And then going up to the Volcano Crater, there are two ways. It's either you take the horse, horseback riding, or you do the trekking. So we did both. Every time we get tired, we will ride the horse. Okay. <laughs> I'm exhausted already listening to this. Um, so it's a boat. Then you have to kind of a uh, ho- bit of horseback riding, then some trekking as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, was it worth it, though, when you got to uh, the top of, of Tal Volcano? It was worth it. The water in the Tal Volcano crater is bluish green uh, because of the salt water from the ocean. And the shore of the crater, you can see some small hot surfaces that emit smoke coming from the tiny hole. Really? What an adventure that was, eh? Would you do it again, Maria? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not by the sounds of it. Yeah. <laughs> but a great memory for you, yeah? And uh, who, who was it that took you? Your uncle, you said? Yeah, my uncle from the USA. Right. So, uh, obviously, he was quite a, an action man. Uh, thanks for your uh, message there, Maria. And, um, well, that is quite an adventure, heading up to the top of the Tatal volcano in the Philippines. Herman joins us on line one. Good afternoon, Herman. How are you? Hi, Lord. Good afternoon. How are you? Excellent. So tell me, what's the most physically demanding thing that you've ever had to do? You know, it was in my uh, high school days. I have, we have a neighbor with a very uh, wide uh, rice field. So every Sunday, I try to help them plowing the field using a carabao. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I can imagine that is pretty physically demanding, a carabao, of course. Yeah. Um, there are strong animals. So, uh, you know, you used to have to do this every Sunday. What did it feel like, Herman? Oh, it's a rice field uh, beside... Uh, in the middle of the ballet, so yeah, it's uh, every Sunday, so I just want to help my friend. So, how did it feel at the end of the day? Were you exhausted? Oh, yeah, knackered. <laughs> wow, Herman, thanks so much for your call. Line number two, um, we have uh, Brian joining us. Brian, um, nice to have you on the show. How are you doing? Very well, thank you, Mark. Yourself? Very good, sir. Now, um, you've been on a lot of different treks and challenges. Um, I know that, but one stands out for you as being um, the most physically demanding. So which would it be, Brian? That was the Annapurna circuit in Nepal a few years ago. What made it so tough? 
Well, it was a combination of a really long challenge like Everest Base Camp or something with one of the, the, the shorter, tough ones like Kilimanjaro is 12 days. And on the 11th day, we had to get up at 2 in the morning, uh, start hiking up to 5,500 meters through the snow and the ice and everything. And then down the other side of the mountain, the, the Tongla Pass, the highest pass in the world. And it took us about 16 hours that day. Wow. Yes. <laughs> it was a long, long day. I mean, wonderful scenery and stunning and all the rest of it, but tough. Really tough. Uh, would you do it again, Brian? I'll do something like it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure I'd do that one. Did any of your um, fellow climbers not make it, or did everyone manage to complete this challenge? No, everybody made it. We had uh, 19 on that challenge for, for Golf for Good. And I think because it's in a good cause, you know, everybody's raising money. It spurred money you on a little bit, a yeah. It spurred yeah, us yeah. on a lot, yeah, it's yeah. really good. Brian, I always appreciate your call, and thanks so much for listening. Uh, we're going to go to line number three right now, where John Olin joins us. Good afternoon, John Olin. Hi, Mark. Good afternoon. I'm fine. How are you? I'm very good. You're bright and breezy today. So tell me, what's the most physically demanding thing that's happened to you? You know, actually, um, as far as I remember, like I think it was a month or two months ago, um, I was to pull to open an elevator which was locked out due to power electricity. You know, electric- electricity is like 100% rent out. Yeah. I did not succeed on pulling it because it won't really happen. You know, it's a small, it's like a 40 kilograms only trying to open an elevator just to go outside. And then um, I was stuck there for almost an hour. Oh. And someone from maintenance opened it up. You know, I was like really scared. I was on the 23rd floor at that time. Wow, that must so, have been really scary. Yes, you know, I was like sweating inside, scared to death. You know, I had to go down running down the stairs because of what happened. I, I was be- really, really physically exhausted after that. <laughs> but it was you like, must. you know, it was like an experience. So... <laughs> I mean, have you ever, has it put you off using elevators? And have you ever been in that same elevator again, John Olin? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So every time I will go in that elevator, you know, it reminds me of that incident. So I was like praying, I hope it will not yeah yeah well that must have been a scary experience but uh, a physically demanding one as well john olin thank you so much for your call this is lunch with lloyd on dubai i 103.8 now a man who knows all about being physically challenged joins us on the line right now paris norris uh good afternoon paris how are you I'm super, thanks, Mark. How are you? Very good. I mean, how would you answer that question? Um, we're, we're asking our listeners today to come up with uh, the most physically challenging thing that they've ever done. You've done loads of them, but does any one stand out for you at Paris? Yeah, there was one that I did that was incredibly uh, horrible, to be honest. There's no other way to describe it. And um, uh, about uh, five years ago, I took part in a boxing competition uh, called Fighting Fit. Okay. Uh, it was a, t- a TV show they did. Um, um, it, there was a number of different challenges you had to do in order to get into a team. And then you had to box your way into the final. But one of the challenges that we had to do uh, was, was, was not nice. Basically, we, they lined us up at the bottom of Ski Dubai. And I thought we were going to go camping. Um, but they said, right, three times you have to run up and down. Uh, and if you don't make the team, if you don't get in the top four, then you don't make the team. So I thought, okay, well, I sprinted off as fast as I could. And um, 
and, uh, you know, lost all my energy. But by the time we had completed three up and down, they then said, right, you've got to keep going until the last man standing. So, so I ended up running up and down at 17 times, oh, no. <laughs> which was, and, and, you know, had bronchitis for like a good week afterwards. Oh, that's that sounds painful, Paris. Um, anyway, um, we're not going to ask you to do that on the show today. What we are going to ask you to do is uh, tell us about your experiences so far um, over at Expo 2020. I bumped into you in the Irish Pavilion, of course, um, on Wednesday, but I think you've been covering quite a lot of ground since then. If we want to talk about the pavilions, uh, I think some of the top pavilions that I've seen um, have been the Saudi Pavilion. Uh, yep. which is very interesting. Yep. Um, it's got this amazing water feature, which I can imagine kids will absolutely love. And um, it's uh, 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 got a, a model of what is the ancient city of Riyadh, uh, which is Daria. And, and it then takes you into the future of what, uh, what Saudi's now planning to do, which I thought was incredible. So uh, definitely check that one out. And it's quite quite a spectacle on the outside as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to the Italian pavilion, which was also quite impressive. They've got a full life-size statue of Michelangelo's David in there, which I thought was wow. quite impressive. Um, there's also a great coffee shop there if anybody fancies a bit of, uh, a bit of Italian coffee. Yeah. And um, if you're into sort of modern performances then the Korea pavilion was quite interesting as well because they've got all sorts of break dancing going on and uh sort of k-pop music and things right. like that which I thought was uh which was really really quite cool yeah that's where my wife would would head to first and, and foremost would be uh Korea of course um, um k-pop um music and dancing and Korean soap operas are very big in the in the Filipino community. I mean, how did you plan your your trips out? Was it just wandering around for you or did you have a a real plan uh, put into place Paris? Okay, so to begin with, I didn't have a plan and I've been three times now, so I've got a few tips for anyone that's going because I've I've started to realize how to make it a bit more of a smooth trip. So, first of all, before you go, download the expo app because that has a map on it and you should plan where you're planning to go first because there's different districts yeah and each district has a different uh a different parking to it so if you don't know where you're going and you drive in and then you see there's three different parkings you think oh which one am i meant to go to so it's good to have Mm. an idea okay if i'm going to check out these places that's in the sustainability district Therefore, I'm going to go to the sustainability parking, um, which makes obvious sense. But if you don't know to plan ahead, then then you wouldn't know to do that. Um, And then also, you've got to find your car on the way back. And there's a lot of parking. So not only do you need to remember the actual row of where your parking is, but if you're taking the bus in, you need to remember the the number of the bus. Because when you're coming back, uh, you you need to know which stop to get off. And I... uh, was quite confused on my way back so so you forgot the number of the bus (laughs) yeah well you know which uh the the bus says which parking it's going to but there's maybe three or four stops and uh, you need to know the name of the stop um because they're all they're all numbered 
Um, but of course, when I saw you, you took the metro in, and that that seemed to be quite hassle-free, didn't it, Mark? Absolutely. Um, I would recommend the metro one hundred percent. It's so smooth. Of course, I, I live in in Rashidiya, which is the other side of Dubai. Um, so I got on at the at the center point station there in in Rashidiya, and just stayed on for the whole duration. It, it took me from that side of town took me an hour and fifteen minutes, but literally straight into the heart of Expo, um, into the sustainable area where the uh, quite close to the actual exhibition center and the russian pavilion is close by there as well and so are our arn studios <laughs> so it's pretty handy for me definitely the only way that i'll be going there is um, is on the metro which um is is absolutely seamless really and uh, just gets you right into the heart of things it's nice and easy when you get out of the metro station there's lots of lanes to go through to get checked and uh, show your tickets and uh, go through security um so i would heartily recommend that um paris maybe on your next trip you might want to might want to try that well yeah i won't lose my car that way so it's uh, <laughs> might be worth it uh but a few other tips also i mean it's, it's very hot right now so dress appropriately and i personally think it's best to go after four o'clock um and actually at night time a lot of things are lit up so the our wassel plaza is oh really- isn't that amazing at, at night yeah so so it's not a bad place to go for for sunset and for the evening um so have your phone fully charged for some photos and uh have all your documents ready such as your vaccination certificate and your ticket on your phone yeah get in and uh, you should have a nice seamless trip this is dubai i 103.8 you're listening to lunch with lloyd Indeed you are, and welcome back to the show. Lunch with Lloyd all the way through the hour of 2 o'clock this afternoon. Now, we're in conversation with Guy in Dubai, Paris Norris, who's used to an adventure or two, and his latest adventures, of course, have taken him out um, to Expo 2020. He told us there's a fantastic water feature in the Saudi Pavilion. If you fancy good coffee, then head over to Italy. Paris, welcome back to the show. So I think you've got another two or three pavilions that you're going to talk to us about. So where is next if we take our journey out to Expo 2020? So uh, I personally also really thought the UK pavilion had uh, one of the best uh, architectural pieces. So it's definitely uh, worth a look at the UK pavilion. And I think they're also bringing a lot of interesting uh, people to come and speak there. So uh, yesterday they had the Red Arrows. Yeah. Uh, were the the aerobatic display team flying over the uh, over uh, over the expo arena, um, and I got a chance to meet them, which was quite quite amazing. Okay, what did uh, they, what did they have to say? Were they enjoying the the time flying in our blue skies in Dubai? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, it was very interesting talking with them because you know they're the best of the best in terms of um, you know fighter jet pilots. So, yeah, as you know, Mark, I've. I've been learning to fly in an amateur way as you know, I've been flying paramotors and small planes. And so I, you know, was interested to see how they got to the level that they're at. And, uh, um, you know, it's very interesting what they do on a, on a day-to-day basis, but very, uh, highly calculated precision flying. It's very interesting. All right. Uh, so UK pavilion worth a look at, um, anywhere else that stood out for you, Paris? Yeah, so if, if I just sort of uh, step away from pavilions a second and some of the other things that are at Expo, um, there's a really fantastic water feature very close to the Al Wassel Plaza. And um, 
I put some videos up on my social media uh, the other day. It's uh, it's uh, absolutely fantastic. It's like um, uh, it looks like a, a bit like a huge skate park, like a vert ramp. Yeah. Uh, and there's water water flowing into it from all directions, and kids are jumping around in it, and yeah, it, it was really quite cool. Um, and it's uh, a lot of people don't know it's there, but you'll you'll find it. Uh, it's only just a. Uh, uh, a minute from uh, the the centre of the Expo Arena at the Alwassel Plaza. Okay, uh, so definitely get some photos of that. All right, um, so that's definitely a good photo opportunity. Um, you mentioned walking shoes are, are a definite must. Something nice and comfortable. <laughs> Is there any other ways of getting around? Because I believe they have electric bikes. Yes, I haven't tried them out yet. They do have electric bikes, and sometimes they have uh, buggies. Uh, around uh, to, to take people if needed. Um, so yes. However, I think you do have to get ready for a bit of walking um, because you want to kind of discover in your own direction. So uh, you know, dress appropriately, have some good shoes on, um, and and be up for a bit of a walk is is my advice. And when's your next trip there, um, Paris? Are you heading up there later today or uh, this week? Yes, I am actually. I'm heading today. I'm. Uh, there's a um, a sushi place at the Japanese pavilion. And oh, nice. I took a l- little look in there, and it looks really good. Um, so I haven't tried it yet, so that's where I'm going for dinner tonight. And um, uh, it did look really good when I when I stuck my head through the through the door. Fantastic! So sushi on the menu for for your dinner, Paris. Thanks for the tips, and uh, we hope to see you up there again. Of course, Wednesdays is the big day when Dubai I one of three point eight is going to be broadcasting live from Expo twenty twenty. And let me tell you, the whole team is so looking forward to that. This is lunch with Lloyd on Dubai I one of three point eight. Welcome back to the show on this uh, Sunday afternoon. Now, today is World Hug a Drummer Day to celebrate percussionists who keep uh, the rhythm and are the engine room of uh, each and every band. Um, and I thought, who can I talk to on Hug a Drummer Day? And it, it could only be one guy. Eddie Parsons joins me on the show. Very famous face and drummer around the city of Dubai. Can I give you a virtual hug, Eddie, down the telephone line? <laughs> Good afternoon, Mike. Yes, you certainly can. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> uh, great to have you on the show, uh, Eddie. Um, just tell me about your journey to Dubai, because I know you've been here perhaps just as long as I have, from uh, the 80s or, or 90s, perhaps? Well, this is true, but first of all, let me say that I have been actually inundated with virtual hugs this morning from all over the world. Really? So I'm <laughs> I'm over the moon. Tickety-boo. That's brilliant, isn't it? So everybody's remembering the drummers today who, you know, putting all the hard work. I think this is our 15 minutes of fame. Yeah, this is it. Make the most of it, Eddie. We have our spotlight, yes. Um, Yes, as you said, I came here in the late 80s, and uh, along with yourself and a few other uh, names that that we both know, Obviously, Dubai is very different now. It's exciting times with the uh, expo and everything. Yeah. Uh, I saw you live on, on TV um, on the opening night. That was fantastic. I thought you were conducting oh, yes. the opera thing <laughs> amazingly. But it was great. But yes, um, 
drummed in many bands here, played in pretty much every venue you can think of, uh, both here in Dubai, Alain, and in Abu Dhabi, and in Oman, and uh, Egypt, and Lebanon, yeah, yeah. all over the place. Was it always the drums for you, Eddie? Uh, was it just obvious that was the instrument that you were going to go? Because I had a go at drums. I'm a keyboard player, but I had a go at drums, and I could just didn't know what to do. I hadn't a clue. But did it come naturally for you? Yes, it did. Um, I, I, my father was in a band, and uh, I started playing drums when I was four. Wow. So, and I just naturally just started playing drums, you know. And, I, and back then, in <laughs> years gone by, I would put on little... Uh, uh, I had a little um, record player, and I would put the Beatles on, and I would be drumming along with that on my little child kit and driving mm-hmm. my parents nuts. <laughs> and by the time I was 11, uh, Dad said, right, that's it. You're good enough. You're in the band. And wow. that was it. I was off and running. And so I've, uh, drums has been my main instrument. Uh, over the years, I've, I've played, like, like many musicians, I can pick up a guitar and mm-hmm. play, a, a, play a song or play some chords or strum along. Yeah. And then likewise with the bass and I sing, which again was a gift from my father. Uh, keyboards, I can sort of make a few pleasant little sounds on <laughs> chord <laughs> progressions and what have you uh, when it comes to like brass or anything like that no i just yeah. not so good not so, so good who, who were the drummers that you absolutely loved when you were learning uh, i mean you've just mentioned the beatles there so obviously ringo Starr in that band but um, any others well there are many and uh it's hard to say your favorite because there's so many fantastic musicians out there and there always has been an interesting little story though about ringo um, he comes in for a lot of stick because he's mm. supposed to be very simple. And, and But the interesting thing is is that he was originally a jazz drummer right. before he joined the Beatles, and he's naturally left-handed, but he plays right-handed. Wow. So he has that sort of unusual sort of swing, which is so famous in Beatles songs. He plays such simple patterns, but it fits perfectly with the genius of McCartney and Lennon. And, mm. um, yeah. Ah, never, and and I, so, but I'd never heard from of a drummer's before. perspective, from a drummer's perspective, like if you talk to someone about and they say, "Oh, Ringo is rubbish," well, he may not be Neil Peart, but um, it, for his time, he was he was he was the business, yeah. and he had that, that that technique with the open, slightly open hi hats that gave that trashy sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, now you, now you mentioned time, that. I, 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 yeah, I, I totally get that. Just when we're on the that subject... time, it was very tight, you know, so yeah. he had that real rock swing, which was great. While we're on the subject of um, the Beatles, I want to pick up, because I know one of your great memories um, is, is playing or recording in, in Abbey Road. Just tell me that experience, That's what right, it was like yeah. again. That was with a band called Touch, who uh, originally were coming to the Emirates as far back as about 84, 85. And they were originally called the Sherry Beck Band. Yes. And um, they had numerous players that were in and out. And and I joined them after I came back from London because I had been in a band called Stampede who was signed to Polydor, essentially a splinter group from Thin Lizzy, blah, 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 long story. So anyway, started touring with them again, and before I came back out here, we had uh, got a deal with MMI, EMI, and uh, the deal was they said, "Well, look, we really like your, your material. We we won this competition for a battle of the bands," and they said, "Look, you can go and record at Abbey Road." 
So we said, yes, please. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Imagine having that so on not, the CV. Not only did we record at Abbey Road, but we actually recorded in the same studio as the Beatles. So oh, that, that is what a memory. You know. there's, there's three studios. There's the big Studio one is the big one for the orchestras. There's Studio two, which is where the Beatles recorded and Floyd. But now, that's now a museum. And then you have Studio three. So we, we recorded in Studio two, but we mixed in Studio three. Wow, wow. And that was late 80s when that happened. Yeah, yeah. That, and so we had a, a, an EP uh, on EMI, and um, we were touring with that. And then by that time, late, late 80s, they had started bringing me here. That's and then fantastic. I stayed here, and there you go. Fantastic. But it was, it's, an, it's an amazing experience, because obviously you have to get your photograph taken going across the iconic um, zebra crossing. And uh, it's, there's always people there. Always, yeah, yeah. I mean, we rocked up just to do this, and there's people looking at us saying, "Well, who are you guys?" You know, and so it makes you feel a bit, bit special. There's always people there all the time, and it's such an iconic thing. And and you're looking down the road to see if you can see the little white beetle that McCartney was supposedly in. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I just want to find out about your band now, and um, you know, I know it's doing great things across the city, and, and where we can see you. Is it one-off gigs? Have you got a residency? Just tell me all about that. Yes. Yeah. Well, um band I used to be in before called Sixer have reformed, and we start our Thursday night residencies Thursday the 14th, so next Thursday. It's in Albasha at the Donatello Hotel, and the venue is called Hot Pearl. Cool. So it used to be called the uh, Red Hot and Chili. It's now been uh, refurbished, and it's now called the Hot Pub. And we're going to be starting there next Thursday. And um, what kind of material are we going to be looking at there? It's essentially classic rock, but with a twist. It's with a twist. So we're going to be doing a lot of stuff that other bands wouldn't normally have a go at. Okay. Because there's a, there's a lot of rock bands in town now. They all do the standard sort of paranoid or, or, or whatever, you know. Whereas we're, we're, we're going to be far more selective. And the fact that we have three lead singers in the band, because we're a three-piece now, mm-hmm. and we all sing... So not only can we cover the harmonies, but we can all do sing lead vocals, and it gives us a very broad spectrum of material to choose from. So it's fun. And it's great that the city is finally opening up, so it's wonderful. It is. Just before I let you go, Eddie, um, I just want to come to a text that was sent by one of our listeners. We were talking about it being Virtual Drummer Day. We spoke already about Ringo Starr, a virtual yeah. hug for Charlie Watts. What were your thoughts Absolutely, on Charlie? of course. Well, he was an icon, let's be fair. Again, similar from that, that early 60s, he was a jazz drummer as well originally, as was Ginger Baker, believe it or not, <laughs> from Cream. Yeah. But, um, and even John Bonham from Led Zeppelin, who's one of my all-time favorites, when they first started out, they weren't the, 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 the rock gods that they became. Mm. They, they were like, John Bonham, for instance, was, a, was a, not necessarily a jazz drummer, but he did a lot more mainstream-style music before the Zeppelin break. But Charlie Watts, yes, a real icon. And I saw a video footage on YouTube of the current tour the Stones are doing in the States, and they have like a 10 or 15-minute montage yeah. before the show of, of like, uh, back, uh, it's just a simple pattern that Charlie was playing, and then lots of um, video footage of him over the years. It's really quite moving, but it's, it's beautiful. 
But you can imagine whoever's got that gig now is laughing all the way to the bank. Oh, for so. sure. Yeah, that, that, that is a gig that Eddie Parsons would not have turned down, I'm sure. <laughs> I wouldn't say no. <laughs> Eddie, have a great day. Um, hug a drummer day. And go, you, Mark. Go out and celebrate, and it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. That's Eddie Parsons. Do check the band out, Fixer, as well.